Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today we're in for a special treat because we've got an expert expert in the house. So this isn't just about personal story, but we've got Sarah Jane Aris, who is so many things. She's so many things. She's a clinical psychologist. She's been a mentor and coach with the Aspire Foundation, which is uh, how I got connected through networks. Uh, was the policy director of the British Psychological Society, is an author and expert in resilience, which is the theme or the topic that we're going to discuss today. Um, and she's also set up a national mentoring scheme for clinical psychologists across the lifespan of the British Psychological Society, which is a total mouthful. Welcome to the show, Sarah. <laughs> it certainly today. is, and thank you for your introduction, Petra. It's a delight to be with you. It's so exciting to have you here, because as you know, a lot of what I do, even though I'm a, a therapist, is, is resilient through my own experience understanding what it was that I learned from through my own hardships and trying to connect people's stories around that. But so in my mind, resilience is our ability to bounce back from adversity. So the theme of the podcast, adversity, turning it into our advantage. So it's not something that holds us back, but it's something that can springboard us if we do the right thing. So I'd love to just pick your brains today for a little while and think about the topic of resilience and how do we build it? That's the main thing. How in the world do we develop this within ourselves? What do you think? Well, um, there's a lot to say, I think, yeah. here. Um, and I, I, I think one of the, the key things in building resilience is actually how you deal with setbacks. Um, in life, we have so many challenges that we face. It's becoming a faster, you know, paced world. We face more and more things. You know, do we use it, um, you know, adverse situations to really build our resilience um, and, and that attitude of mind? Or do we use it to feel, oh, ain't it awful, aren't I a victim? And the point is here, we do have choices as to the way in which we respond to situations. And in my book on, um, you know, Beyond Resilience, we actually have a map of this, the choices that we make oh, and nice. what we do with that and what leads to mastery and resilience yeah. and what actually leads to rigidity what we call mediocrity and ossification and it's always how we use an experience do we use it do we look at our beliefs and assumptions around the adverse experience do we make assumptions that say ain't it awful or oh let's see what's happened here it's pretty shitty but actually you know uh, what can I learn from this and there's a timing you, you can't in the face of some kind of trauma immediately see that but it's how you as a person use that so it's the realization you have choices you don't have to be a victim and how we experience meaning and purpose what meaning do we take out of a crisis that occurs to us you know um what 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 how do we use it um you know at every life point, there are changes that we have to deal with going to school, you know, going to university, breakup of relationships, you know, ending jobs, new beginnings, new endings. And they all can have crises attached to them because it's an adjustment. It's a transition. And we don't and we have choice what we, we do. We don't necessarily have that. the tools, right? To and it's about 
developing those choices, developing those tools um, along the way. You, we aren't born with them. Right, right. <laughs> um, Do you think you some know, people, good... are some people born with more of them than others? like an innate ability to bounce back? Or what do you think about that? I This is a nature-nurture argument. Right, yeah, yeah, and, huge. and I'm always a little bit, because I do believe we can shape how we are. Yeah. And we may have a certain genetic predisposition to do something, but actually with the neuroplasticity research um, of the ble- of the brain, we mm. can rewire ourselves. So, I mean, Rick Hansen's work is really worth looking at because, you know, within 60 days, if you really work at changing negative thoughts, negative beliefs that have built up over time, you can rewire the brain. But we have tricky brains because of you know the way we're wired and actually what's important is to be compassionate about that because actually you know we can learn to work with our tricky brains um do you uh, when you say compassionate do you mean to ourselves to other people how how do we do cultivate this compassion i think that Um, It's both to ourselves and to others. But unless we develop self-compassion, a compassionate heart, care for ourselves, and we have to learn it quite often because the cultures that we're brought up in can be very critical. We have critical voices from childhood about not being good enough, da-di-da-di-da. We live in a competitive society um, that's far easier in the Western world to chastise than it is to praise. Um, So we have to learn self-compassion. And again, our book looks at strategies to deal with and learn and it's about learning we aren't just stuck with who we feel we are um which is revolutionary in itself right revolutionary it's revolutionary in itself just to realize that there's always hope there's always you know something we can learn and develop within ourselves to move forward there always is whatever the situation there is always an opportunity for change but it's what we do with that whether we can believe that and take that forward and it's that realization and awareness and I would say one of the key things is about developing that awareness that self-awareness that actually we can be more than we think we are if we choose to take a positive path for ourselves, and that creates resilience. You know, actually what doesn't create resilience is where people don't have uh, adverse experiences to cope with, and, um, you Ah, know... So they don't have uh, a practice ground. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at young people who've had a protected life and then they suddenly meet death, you know, a failure at work, you know, and it's like, bloody hell, there's something wrong with me yeah. rather than because they, because they've breezed through life. So then they you know, they're not prepared. Mm. So I would say one of the things that really builds resilience is actually the adversities that we face. If we can use them for our advantage in a resilient person, we're always in the end. It may be a shock. It may take some time of confusion as you go through the transition to get to that point of, right, I'm going to use this. But inside, they have learnt um, uh, the skill 
of saying and trusting they can use this experience. And I, I, it was really interesting, Petra. We were at um, uh, a talk of a, a great artist um, on the, in the Royal Watercolour Association. Uh, I can't remember Robert's last name. Um, he's 100. My goodness. He is still painting. He's now going into um, filmmaking at 100. Mm-hmm. And um, he was interviewed by Steve Jacobson, who's a president of the RWA. And Steve said, so what do you think is your secret to your, you know, remaining as well as you do at 100? And he said, curiosity. Mm. And I would say to you that with most older people who have well-being, who have resilience, in spite of what they've been through, it's that curiosity yeah, what's around the corner here? Not ain't it awful? You know, this is the end. This is terrible. Yes, you go through a process of shock. We all do in the process of transition. But it's how you come out of that. And it's the things you say to yourself, the assumptions you make, and, and how those are built up o- over time. So, you know, it's it's a little bit what, like Carl Jung said, the famous uh, Jung analyst. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, a success, how wonderful. A failure, how terrible. Because you do not build resilience. You don't learn how to tackle. You don't develop skills to cope with adversity. And then when you face it, um, a bit like, you know, the example I gave, it's like, oh, my God, there's something wrong with me, da-di-da-di-da. So there's growth from challenge. So it's, yes, and it's almost like going to the gym with our physical health. If you sort of build muscles, you stress them in a way in order for them to then reform and for you to become stronger. And in a way, yes. we need that consistently. It's that building that resilience muscle. It's yeah. a great analogy, actually. Yeah. And if I, I look, uh, it's the physical exercise model, which is, you know, if, if you use it, you don't lose it. <laughs> if you don't lose it, if you don't use it, you lose it. And, you know, I look at elderly people and elderly people who exercise, who keep themselves alert, who look after their um, physical health and well-being, diet, etc., they have a much more full life because they're engaged, um, they're physically looking after themselves. And as you grow older, I really do think looking after the whole being, you know, your mental well-being, your physical well-being, your psychological well-being, your spiritual well-being are just huge important that kind of um uh, those building blocks if you like so something want to sustain yeah like the, the growth mindset so that curiosity seems to link into that so no matter what age you're at to be learning and developing your mind your body your soul your spirit just allows you to be vibrant and be able to tackle the next so in a way we should be looking at challenges as like bring it on Here's my next thing. It's an opportunity. Right. Challenges are opportunities to learn. 
doesn't feel and like a resilient it person, it, a person who learns to be resilient turns around a challenge to ain't it awful from ain't it awful to wow what can I learn from this situation and again you know building resilience is, is always that what can I learn from this you may not get to that initially because you know shocks in life can confuse us initially but as you come out of that stage of shock or denial or whatever it is into a realization and knowing it will change all things change nothing stays the same and and i do think again a resilient person will say okay so it's like this now you know what can i do to change this for the future and they always emphasize the positive you know, there is a, a sense of, oh, crap, yeah, that there's loads going on here. But, OK, so how can I use this? Um, yeah, even, rather than, I even mean, if well, you don't, yes, you may have over... Sorry, so even if you don't have the answer, um, just having that attitude is enough to help move you forward. So, I, th- mm. I think having that attitude, I think actually we never have the answer. Right. And, and, and I actually think that doesn't help because I think sometimes people will say, I've got to have the answer, I've got to have the answer. There isn't an answer. Remaining curious. Oh, gosh, what are the options here? Rather, my God, I've got to have an answer to this. And it's that ability to play with whatever is there to sit with it you know if you're faced with crisis it's very easy to go into panic and actually a resilient person will stand back will say Christ this is fucking awful excuse my language you know this is terrible I'm faced with this 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 and this what can I do about it Um, you know let me pause I'm you know, I'll give you an example. My husband had a stroke on the day after New Year, two and a bit years ago. And, um, you know, it was a, a real shock. I came in from the gym. I won't go into this too. And he was there unable to talk. Mm. And it could have been a potentially awful situation. He just got into Christ. We've got to get the ambulance. You know, we got him in in time. He had 20 minutes. He had a, a, a bleed. And he has used that experience. He had no language. He couldn't. He didn't know who he was. But because of his... Um, curiosity about life and determination to do the best he could he has developed you know those neural networks again he's a fully functioning individual he but what he's done is reflected on it you know he he used a journal to help him in that experience um and as a neuropsych friend of mine who i phoned colleague said you know actually um those neurons that fire together wire together is rick hampson saying and actually they they strengthened further because if something's cut and you know it explodes as it kind of finds its pathways back the circuits they actually strengthen and so I'm using that as an, al- an analogy for resilience because we can feel broken, but actually we can strengthen through whatever losses, whatever shocks we go through. 
And that in itself can build resilience. So it's our attitude, our way of looking at things that can really, really help. I think something we often forget in this fast-paced world we live in is to learn to listen and trust our own inner wisdom. That's still small voice. And I would say resilient people actually will take that time to listen to that still small voice and have an innate, have learnt to trust their inner wisdom. And we all have an inner knowing. It's just we get disconnected from that. And I would say whatever strategies you can to reconnect with your own inner wisdom. What, what, do um, you do to, what do you do to connect to your inner wisdom? What's like a, do you have practices or habits that help you or that you've learned along the way? Lots of things, lots of things, but it's normally time out. I get up early in the morning, just connect with nature, breathe, actually become present to the moment. To create um, space within the and, noisy world. And just will ask myself a question about something that I might be wondering about, um, you know, or uh, you know, I'm trying to solve a problem. I'll just pop it into my consciousness and see where that goes to and see what images, words, phrases arise and we'll make a notebook. I, I really do think journaling um, in developing your own wisdom and resilience can help enormously because you can track back to see, wow, you know, there was that and that and that. Um, so I would say cultivating, acknowledging that we all have an inner knowing, an inner wisdom, and working with that, developing that still small voice when you're at a, a choice point, you know, um, and realizing there isn't one path. The, okay, so you take a choice to take this path. It may not be the best one, but it's a learning, you know, and you'll get, reach another choice point. And it's about, okay, so I've got another choice to make here. Do I, you know, go to America? Do I stay in England? You know, what do I do here? And it's not that something's right or wrong. And it's that attitude because you will learn something. It may be pretty uncomfortable, you know, going to another culture and all the rest of it. But you're not stuck. And I think it's that attitude with a resilient person um, and cultivating resilience is actually, you know, when your back's against the wall, when you feel stuck, you're never stuck. You've always got choices. So there's something about in terms of uh, building resilience, it's emphasizing the positive, not not denying that there are, you know, pretty shitty things, really difficult experiences, but say, okay, what can grow out of this? I mean, if you look at a wonderful analogy from nature, where do lilies grow? And I have no idea. I'm a city girl. <laughs> in the water, in the pond. No, right? no, no. L- lilies grow in muck and dirt. Oh, I see. Yes. So, really, the analogy is out of something that appears yucky. Yes. The most beautiful. Lilies are so beautiful. Yes. White. And um, so, it's kind of like if we take an attitude that. You know, whatever shit we're in, there's always a nugget of gold. 
And it's these kind of, I think what I'm talking about are attitudes and how we create meaning from the situation that we're in. Say more about that. And I'm, I'm it, curious about the meaning. Well, so, you know, Brian used his stroke. He created meaning out of that for himself as an opportunity to grow, um, as realizing, you know, he's a typical type A individual who drives himself. So he was looking at, in that, you know, it wasn't just a stroke. You know, it was a stroke of luck. He created something out of that from which he could grow and build. Another person might see a stroke as something terrible, their health is going to be affected, um, their, their life will never be the same this again. It. It's over. It's over. So that person is creating meaning in terms of a story yeah. that's about lack. He was creating, he was using his experience to help him along his own journey. So you're saying, and it is a journey, but it's the type um, of meaning that we're trying to create. So we're trying to create meaning that helps us frame it in a useful way. That's a great summary, Petra. Yeah, and you know, again, our book we've got a, we've got a chapter on meaning making, and you know, Victor. There's a great example of Victor Frankl. I don't know if you know him, Love who him. was in yeah. a Nazi concentration camp. Man search for me. Um, Jewish. And it was he created meaning for himself. He wrote the book um, about meaning making. Um, from the most adverse situation, he created meaning by writing the book, by reflecting, and, and not, not, know, not only to that build, to build. He just not sorry? only that. Not only that. The meaning making helped him survive, like literally live. That's exactly what why meaning making is so important, and that if we just see an experience as good or bad, and if we, you know, don't really to build resilience, you need to be able to see the experiences, whatever the experiences in your life to teach you about your path and purpose. And there there are no givens. You know, it, it, it's it's an uncertain journey. It's um, and that's the excitement. But a resilient person will create that meaning of excitement. Whereas somebody who um, hasn't built their resilience may start from the point of view, oh, I've got to control it, I can't, you know, and then become more and more anxious. It's letting go into something that enables something else to happen. And too often people hold on tight. You know, somebody who's building resilience is open and accepting, and as I say, it's it's you know it's about curiosity i think it's about an attitude of mind creating cultivating an attitude of mind and assumptions that are about growth you know that there aren't limits if you choose to take that approach you know that actually you can do anything in your life if you choose to it's only your own 
perception that keeps those barriers and limits there. So it's the way we view things that often leads us to either become resilient or not. And it's learning that art. Again, we're not born with it. We have to develop and cultivate those skills uh, of seeing things in a more positive way, but catching when we're negative. And that requires developing that self-awareness muscle. You know, standing back, watching, reflecting, taking a moment out. You don't have to take an hour out. You know, actually, you can sit on the loo and take a couple of minutes breathing, you know, if you're in a busy, busy life. And just allowing yourself to drop into a place of conscious knowing. But you've got to consciously do that. You've got to be aware enough to say, okay, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to develop this resilience muscle in this kind of a way. So it's about being proactive. If you're a passive person that just lets things happen, that's not going to help build resilience for you and isn't going to transform whatever's going on for you. So there are some personal things um, that I think are important in terms of resilience. I think collaborating, networking, developing good relationships that support you are really, really important. And reaching out. Some people don't reach out. Um, Learning from other people. You know, resilient stories. Yeah. So finding places where where you can be truthful and connect and even be vulnerable in order to learn and develop. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be open. You've got to make mistakes. You've got to be able to say, God, I really fucked up here. Um, You know, yes, it's terrible. But, you know... There's a lovely saying, it's disastrous but not serious. And actually, we take ourselves far too seriously in in the West, you know. um, And and, and actually, if I look back on my life, I wish I'd not taken things quite so seriously at certain points, you know, when I was much younger. But that's something I've learned, so what, what you know, would have been different? What would have been different for you if you didn't take things so seriously? I think I'd have had more fun when I was um, head of psychology. I was quite so a serious concerned. Job. <laughs> Pardon? Quite a serious job, it sounds like. Yeah, very. And the health service is a really challenging place, and you know, you want the best for people who you're managing. And I I could sometimes, because I got far too overworked, you know, and didn't take enough time at certain periods, um, you know, I took it too seriously. And you know, actually, it's a great indicator if you're getting too serious about something. You know, maintaining your self-esteem is really important. And when you're stressed or non-resilient, it's very easy to believe you're not good enough, da-di-da-di-da. And it's realising we're always good enough. We always are, whatever it is. And it's creating that self-talk, that belief, knowing, you know, you're a unique person who has their own gifts. And it's finding what forum that is for you the way to express in this life you know your particular gifts and contribution to 
you know, uh, your community uh, of people. I I think that it's always creating opportunities for yourself. Um, and having compassion, um, as I said earlier on, and creating compassion. You know, um, Paul Gilbert has done a lot of work on the research of how actually learning to be compassionate, creating a compassionate self, can really, really begin to enable that sense of resilience to maintain and sustain. Um, and there are all sorts of, beyond this you know, initial interview, all sorts of strategies that can be used. You can write yourself a compassionate letter from a compassionate other, you know, get have images of compassionate people and begin to embody those qualities, you know, acting as if da-di-da-di-da. And, you know, it's about cultivating a mindful presence, I would say to you. Building resilience, because we're in a do-do world, being able to just stand back, breathe, and learn to be mindful about your body, your being, your breathing, what you're thinking, your inner sense of yourself, mindful of others and your relationship with others, slowing down to be present to the moment, that mindful presence, can really bring you into another dimension of consciousness that moves you beyond resilience to something greater than. And again, the book, Beyond Resilience, looks at some of those strategies. I mean, it's, it's all in the book. It's all in the book. <laughs> Good. And listen, we'll, we'll put the, the book title and, and where to get it, sort of a link to it within the notes, because if people want to really find the detail around the strategies, then, then that's the place to go. Um, I want to summarize what I heard. I, I might have missed something, but the compassionate thing really struck, struck me. Because like you said, we can have such a critical voice in our head. So learning to be compassionate to ourselves, taking a bit of a lighter approach sometimes to life. Uh, curiosity seems to be just the catch-all word, you know, that hundred-year-old man saying, you know, if he can just continue to be curious, his well-being uh, will improve. Um, and also our attitude. So any adversity that, you know, I'm up leveling in, in business at the moment and it's fucking scary and I'm on my own and it feels lonely sometimes, but because I've been through so many things in my past, I'm a bit like, bring it on, give me your worst, you know, um, because I know that I've been, you know, I could be dead, I could be homeless, I could be so many things, an addict on the street, right? Um, so I'm like, lose a, lose a deal, you know, feel rejected, who cares? So I can definitely see that that historical evidence base allows me to look at this with more resilience and not let it knock me. And then as a parent, I think what I've been learning through all the podcasts and through your expertise is it's okay to allow our, to witness our children dealing with challenges. It's, allow, it's okay to allow our partners and our loved ones to deal with adversity and challenge. We don't have to fix them or protect them all the time. It's actually counterintuitive, right? It is. And actually, if you fix it for them, they're not going to learn. If I look at people whose families have protected them from um, life's 
um, lessons, um, actually they're more frightened, they're more risk adverse, um, they haven't learned. We only learn really from mistakes. Oh yeah, it's great to learn, you know, it's great to have successes. But actually, what do you learn? Yes, it helps your self-esteem, it helps your sense of who you are. But actually, it's through the things that don't go right, that teach you perseverance, that teach you that, you know, when you're knocked down, you can get up again. And the more you do that, the more your resilience actually strengthens and the, and the more it becomes an unconscious competence. But you have to go through those experiences. There's no bypassing. There's no bypassing. Yeah. And I love what you said Never. about being proactive. Like there are things that you can do, even in peacetime, so to speak, to, to learn and develop, you know, what are the techniques and strategies that I can put in place so that when the tough times hit, you're, you're skilled up and you can be present to it, face up to it. Because a lot of us try and avoid these things through numbing out on whatever, you know, addictive things, Netflix, sex, like the, the, the whole sort of list of them to try and avoid really feeling what's going on for us. So your thing about presence and, and mindfulness. And I wonder how gratitude practices play a part in this. Do you think that, you, that a lot of people talk about saying three things that you're grateful for can be a nice routine that helps reframe how you look at things? Do you, do you know anything around that? I, I, yes, it, it is a, a technique. I, I'm, it's, again, how somebody uses it. And I would prefer appreciation. What are three things I appreciate rather than be grateful for? Because gratefulness has an assumption about I should be grateful or something. But I think appreciate. Appreciation is, it doesn't carry that judgment. I love that. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So what are three things I appreciate about myself, about, you know, someone else who's close to me today, you know, in this moment? Um, Which and and I think that can bring you, it can remind you of actually what is there for yourself. Amazing, amazing. If Sarah, that makes sense. It does. It makes so much sense. Sarah-Jane, Sarah um, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? And, and we'll obviously have to have you on again. Well, thank you for that. I, I hope it's really helpful for your listeners. Um, I'm on um, well, sarahjanearis at gmail.com, but it'll need to be at the end. There's no H in, in my name. Um, and obviously I'm on Skype and and you know social media with Sarah Jane Aris. Um so I think those are the, the best perfect. forums. Yeah, possibly. and I know you're you're on LinkedIn and you've got your, your book references on there and we'll we'll add that into the show notes. Sarah Jane, I'm sure we're gonna have you on again. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. I needed to hear that today, so thank you so much. It's a real pleasure and thank you for your interest, Petra, and for the work that you're doing because I'm sure it will reach out and touch many, many people. So good luck on your journey too and I look forward to talking with you as and when. Appreciate Get well. It. Thank you. <laughs>